You're listening to PorchDrinking.com's The Porchcast, brought to you by ONTAP Credit Union. And now, The Porchcast. All right, let's kick things off. We are back with episode 95 of The Porchcast, and uh, I am thrilled to be joined by my co-hosts, Corey David, Bryant Vanderweerd, and I am Tristan Chan. This is a very special one because I don't think we've done a podcast with just the three of us with no guests in a very long time. So welcome back, fellas. How's it going? Well, Bryant's had a big move, so I think he's got more to talk about than me. Yeah, Bryant is <laughs> going, man. Know, has per- perennially been remote, but he is even farther remote this time. Bryant, <laughs> tell everybody where you're at nowadays. Uh, I just just moved, I guess, relative to the world uh, about two and a half months ago. Relocated to Madison, Wisconsin, so moved to a different uh, craft beer mecca. But uh, more kind of more of a family, family-based move that's also obviously very... Um, you know, business centric as well. There's, there, I'm, I'm sitting in my new uh, office space, new studio space that I opened up as well, the, the full poor media office, um, doing some craft beer work out here and obviously some other type of craft beer work too. And just uh, some, some good, good sightseeing. It's great lake weather. I mean, great lake, uh, you know, atmosphere here, just being right next to um, the two huge bodies of water. It's been amazing for sure. Looks like you're doubling that space as a nightclub. Very trailer park boys. I like it. <laughs> and, and let's be real honest. You really just moved for uh, cheese curds, didn't you? Oh, absolutely. That's just, if there's just anything that's just right off of the side in here and that is just out of reach, it's just cheese everywhere. Cheese, cheese and New Glarus. That's, that's pretty much all you wanted. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what Corey wants every day of his life is, is New Glarus. I did miss a good poutine. If we're going to talk about cheese curds, that is lacking in Denver for sure. Speaking of, when is this move going to pay off for the rest of us? When are you going to be uh, ship, shipping Nuglaris out on a regular basis? Because Well, legally, that's not allowed, but... Uh, I could use some cherry tart in my life. No, I can uh, I can do that anytime, man. That's that's for sure. I'll just, I'll, I'll go, I'll head even right over to the actual brewery and get it even fresher yeah, for just everybody. Get, just get Deb to hand bottles some some serendipity for you and, and hand it to Hell yeah. us. Hell yeah, absolutely. I got to figure out how do, how do we get a, a, you know, a porch cast going up there, maybe for the hundredth. I don't know what we got to start planning for the hundredth, but uh, oh, maybe some, maybe some Colorado centric for that since it's Colorado centric, but I definitely got to. Uh, we are just five episodes away. So if we could time yeah. it correctly, we could probably do something big around GABF. Could be. Uh, true. Uh, yeah. Well, speaking of which, um, I do want to jump into this podcast by firstly giving a big thank you to our sponsors, our friends at ONTAP Credit Union. As you know, they aren't your average financial partner. They make banking as easy as enjoying your favorite beverage while providing great financial advice in a friendly and welcoming environment. With ONTAP, Colorado comes first, which is why they offer low loan rates for cars, homes, credit cards, and more. And with ONTAP's mobile app, you can have instant access to your accounts, whether you're meeting friends at a local brewery, out on the slopes, or wherever your next adventure takes you. Member-owned, Colorado Proud, federally insured through NCUA. Um, Guys, uh, I am really excited about this podcast, not just because I get to see all of you once again, but uh, because I've got some exciting news to share. You know, we talked about GABF just a moment ago, but uh, we are uh, by the time this comes out, probably going to be a, about a week out from announcing 
the porch drinking 10th anniversary beer festival. So um, a little exclusive for all of our diehard listeners. It's going to be taking place Wednesday, October 5th, the Wednesday of GABF week. And so, uh, you know, one of the really rad things about this is that we are going to get to invite some of our favorite breweries from around the country, as well as many breweries, you know, that have supported us along the way. So um, it's going to be from, I believe, 5 to 9 p.m. with that 5 to 6 p.m. window being our VIP hour, but lots of really killer breweries. We're going to have some distilleries as well. Um, We're going to have likely some food vendors, and, uh, you know, it's all coming together pretty quickly. But more importantly, we're using this as an opportunity to partner with um, Youth on Record, a tremendous nonprofit organization here that provides educational opportunities for youth, and also... Um, we are kickstarting our mental health fund. So um, essentially what we're hoping to do with that is have a fund available so that we can provide opportunities for people to apply for grants um, who work within the craft beer industry to get mental health, uh, mental health therapy sessions for free. And uh, so we're, we're starting off by kicking off this fund. We're going to be partnering with Bottle Share, who does a lot of similar work in granting out uh, relief funds to to uh, people within the beer industry. And then uh, this is going to be kind of a mental health initiative, um, educational opportunities along the way and opportunities for breweries to, um, you know, provide grants for their employees as well. So really cool cause, really, um, you know, momentous occasion for us. And uh, we're, we're excited to celebrate with some of the best people within the industry. So hoping to have all of you guys there and uh, hopefully we can record you know, our 100th podcast at, uh, at this big beer festival. Exciting. Also now it's a great outlet and a great opportunity for you to not have to vent all your problems to your favorite bartender. And, uh, it's the start of Yom Kippur. So there's lots of things to celebrate that day. Oh, perfect. Let's just turn it into a big Yom Kippur party. (laughs) Yeah. Everybody wear your finest yarmulke. Um, real quick. I just want to remind everyone who's listening to be sure to subscribe and listen um, you know, we were able, you're able to follow Port, the Porchcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Play, all of your listening devices. We're also on Spotify. So if you like what you're listening to, be sure to give us a follow. Okay, we've got a lot of our housekeeping items out of the way. We definitely have another sponsor to thank in the Veil Wine Classic, but we'll get to that in just a minute. Um, this episode is going to be a little bit more different. Like I said before, we don't have a guest host, which um, is both great and, and bad at the same time. But um, I think we're going to uh, supplement that with a lot of really cool craft beer stories. Um, I also have kind of a fun, interesting story to kick things off with. But then I also have kind of a more interactive piece, uh, a segment where we rank the best IPA styles. It was recently uh, National IPA Day. And for the occasion, uh, M. Sauter on, on Twitter posed the question of what's the best IPA style. And she, she in her classic you know, M. Sauter ways, put together a really killer cartoon um, to, to kind of visualize that. And, uh, I, and I want to pose it to you guys. So I want you to be thinking about your favorite IPA styles. And I'll list off the ones that she kind of included, as well as some that I, I put together as well. And I want to hear your favorites. But before we get to that, I do want to share a little story about my recent trip to Alamo Draft House. <laughs> have you guys, you guys have all been to Alamo, right? Yeah, I mean, it's usually it's a cool experience, but usually I just sneak my own beer in. <laughs> well, this relates to that in a very specific way. I'm, I'm not going to dog on Alamo too hard because, you know, 
I they are my favorite movie theater, but you know, hands down, best movie going experience. You know, they've got really comfortable chairs. They all also have a really great great craft beer selection at all their locations. Their food's incredible. Um, they do really cool interactive like sing-alongs and quote quote along movies. And they actually used to sponsor porch drinking back in the day. So big ups to Alamo there. But um, yeah, like my fiance and I recently went to Alamo. And I decided that I wanted to bring peanut butter M&Ms because usually they don't have a very good candy selection. And so, you know, we in, in classic like Asian form snuck in food and uh, was a little cheapo on that side, but I wanted peanut butter M&Ms. I had a craving, snuck it in and no joke, like halfway through the movie, uh, this like guy comes up to us, like, you know, crawls in the dark like the little employee that does does that for alamo so he's crawling in he's like he points to the sign and the sign says did you bring in m ms <laughs> and i was like yeah i did and uh <laughs> and it should be noted that not like five minutes before that i noticed that the the people sitting next to me had raised one of their little like put in one of those little cards uh to alert the attendant to come by so I'm, I am 100% sure these they, they yeah, they narked on us. I mean, like how, what kind of foul play is that? Is that, is that fair or foul on, uh, in your opinion? I want, I want, I want your, am I the asshole reaction to that? Because uh, not only, well, luckily that the Alamo attendant was super chill about it. He was like, Hey, I brought you, he like, all of this is like through like flashcards. So like a, a mini, like, what's that move that holiday movie where they they hold up the the flashcards that that's like you know what i'm talking oh, about just like a like a prompter kind of thing like kind oh you like, love actually where, love actually uh, there it is yeah. like he had a little love actually moment where he had like three different cards for the scenario <laughs> and he was like i brought you a little tray so that you could pour your m&ms into this tray and not make a noise with your little ziploc bag and oh. And so he was, he he was back there for a while. He was back, like, back for a while, like writing yeah, out. Yeah, he was like drawing a little. Like... <laughs> yeah. Well, let's say this foul on both of you foot. So, I mean, it's the thing like you're not supposed to do it, right? But then it's up to you not to get caught, Tristan. Like, that's the key. If you're going to commit a crime, it's still up oh, to you come to on. Also, second foul that it's peanut butter MMs and not cookie or crispy MMs. Those are the two, if we're going to rank anything in this episode, those are the two that are at the top of the heap for sure. What cookie M&M's? What is it? What is a cookie M&M? It's delicious and much better than peanut butter, if I'm going to say so. Well, like, tell me the consistency. Like, what, what, how do you, what? It's an M&M. What do you mean? Talk about the consistency. They're all the same. How is a cookie M&M diff any different than a regular M&M? What's inside of it that makes it? A it's cookie? a little sweeter for sure. It's got a flavor. I mean, it's in the name, you know, it's a cookie. Uh, so it tastes like a chocolate chip cookie. It's pretty delightful. So I think that, that you've committed three different crimes here. You, you so do they have battle on the inside? Is this like a reverse cookie situation? Yeah, basically. And it's right. got like a shell on it. It's like I've cookie dough. I've literally never out. heard of cookie M&Ms. Are you, Give them a shot. All right. Give them a shot. So not, three, a, not at the Alamo. Three fouls on Tristan there. It was probably the, the uh, empty four-pack sitting next to you in the seat that probably gave you away. Or the open-mouth <laughs> chewing. Yeah. Because this, if we're going to make this beer related, did you bring any of your own beer or did you get something there? No, I needed, I needed Brian's beer that just like when you crack it, it barely hisses. <laughs> That's a Charlie Chaplin. Oh, I don't know, you think, you you think peanut butter too, you, you get 
you get into that like bringing peanuts on the airline nowadays kind of thing that you're like oh you get these weird allergies like who knows if somebody the person next to you had like a minor allergy or it's just like you get into the peanuts world and it's it's all of a sudden like potentially terrible food allergy sensitivity i mean we're not as you know as woke to it as as maybe we used to be but i mean none of the airlines you know serve peanuts anymore i, I so strike four for Tristan, putting people's lives at risk. <laughs> Dude, what if, what if I had a, a popcorn allergy? The, the people next to me would have just been murdering me. Then what? You wouldn't go to a movie theater if you had a popcorn allergy. Well, people with popcorn allergies have to see movies too. I mean, come on. That's, that's why we, we have streaming platforms. We now. want the theatrical experience. None of this home hbo max bullshit i mean they're not even existing for a reason now so we all shouldn't have to suffer just because one person out of a thousand has a popcorn allergy i'm just gonna go ahead and say that right now all right enough of this nonsense i still think <laughs> that i'm in the right of course i am allowed I, I i mean everybody has snuck in food to a movie theater and that's just an arbitrary like movie theater rule plus they don't even serve peanut butter m&ms at the movie theater so you know because if people are allergic to them, Tristan. How am I going to quench my thirst, my my appetite for peanut butter M&Ms? Listen, if I can't get caught eating spaghetti at a movie theater, I don't know how you got caught eating M&Ms, right? That's on you. It was because of the narcs next to me. All right, whatever. <laughs> um, I do want to get into, you know, we talked about the silent hissing of cracking open a beer. Maybe it's because it has something to do with one of the biggest controversies in beer right now, which is the CO2 shortage. Have you guys heard about this? I have not, but I feel like nowadays everybody complains about the supply chain and it used to be the man, you know? <laughs> like everybody used to be like, ah, oh, man's keeping us down. Now it's like this figure, this dark ominous figure called the supply chain that's ruining everybody's lives. So are you saying the man just got really nerdy and uh, just became the supply chain issue, just like evolved into that? It's just like a blue collar guy at a factory is the reason that we're all suffering now instead of some guy in a business suit on Wall Street. <laughs> well, I mean, this is becoming a big problem. It's already had one brewery in Massachusetts, Night Shift, uh, forced to close down their brewing operations and shift all of that to a contract brewer. So they in essentially had to lay off their entire brewery, like brewing crew, um, because they're shifting all of their production over to over to a um, uh, contract brewery because they cite. I mean, I think there are other reasons for that move ultimately, but they did cite the CO2 shortage as being one of the reasons. Whether that's true or not, that's not really what we're debating here. What we are debating is uh, that the CO2 shortage is becoming an issue. And from, from what I read about it, it sounds like part of the issue with the shortage is that um, the gas, you know, the CO2 capture center, one of the biggest ones uh, became contaminated when they were trying to uh, incorporate CO2 into uh, pushing gas uh, and, and oil supplies and whatnot, which is also related to supply chain issues, damn you the man. Uh, but now it's seeming, seeming like, you know, obviously this is affecting larger production breweries because several, you know, breweries that are kind of more neighborhood in size can, can naturally carve their beers. But you know, what do you what do you make of this? Is this going to become an impact something that impacts the industry as a whole? Um, you know, are we seeing other issues that pop up? Have you guys seen any other kind of supply chain issues that have impacted craft beer lately? 
Well, it just seems like it's one thing after another. It was cans last year, right? And now it's gas. I mean, maybe they could start planting more trees at their brewery and harvesting it that way. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, I'd recommend switching to nitrous for all of your beers, but that could also be a problem because fish is about to go on tour this summer. So there's going to be a huge, and most of the nitrous is going to be taken, you know, for the parking lot crew um, and anybody that wants a balloon afterwards. But I mean, I don't really know what the fix would be. I mean, I can't, like canning seems like, you know, you move to other packaging solutions or you maybe do more draft, but I don't know exactly how you make more CO2. Um, so like anything else, it'll probably impact the smaller breweries like a lot more. And then it, the larger breweries that already have major contracts in place are going to be the ones that aren't as affected as much. Well, that's, that's actually what I really want to see is just a battle between, you know, Grateful Dead brewery owners and uh, these kids hopped up a Molly sucking down nitrous just like duking it out against each other that's really what yeah, it's like hey man i gotta i gotta i got some beer to sell can i buy this whole tank off of you that would be a practical solution you're like hey we're, we really need some nitrous this weekend and you just show up to a, a hippie concert or a fish concert and just be like listen i know you sell these by the balloon but how much is it gonna be for an entire tank and, and i mean let's be honest take a look in the back of of most brew houses and there's probably some crossover too there's probably some people that are already going planning on going to the show that probably uh We'll have a closer yeah. connection that, oh, are, yeah. that also work in birds. Just carving your beers one balloon at a time. <laughs> well, in, in even more controversial news, um, it is that time of year again where we start debating whether Oktoberfest beers should already be on store shelves, which they are. Um, you know, I know that uh, one of the big stories that have, has emerged around Oktoberfest beers this year is the fact that Sierra Nevada will no longer be distributing their Oktoberfest nationally. Uh, they're only going to be available uh, within uh, the state of California, I believe. So um, what are your, what's your all's takes on, you know, Oktoberfest being, Oktoberfest beers being available the first week of August when it's still like a hundred degrees out in most of America. Um, do you think that's too early? Do you think, you know, do you think it's time? Are you, is, is your palate ready for big multi Oktoberfest beers? I mean, I, it's it's almost like you could take Oktoberfest beers out and replace it with Halloween decorations or Christmas decorations or anything like that. I mean, there, there's always kind of that like seasonal creep that people are so excited to 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 get the pumpkin spice latte. So Starbucks comes out with it the you know one week before, then the next week it's the or next year it's the next week, and you know. Um, so I, I feel like obviously the the Oktoberfest beers and the fall beers kind of fall within that too. Um, especially with the, maybe this is just, uh, we're, we're just manifesting a, a, a cooler fall because of how fucking hot it's been across, uh, all, across the whole country this year. But I think there's always going to be that, that seasonal creep. Um, I'm, I'm personally kind of ready for it to cool down a little bit. It's getting a little cooler here and I'm just like, Ooh, let me, like, let's make it happen. Like, let's get, let's get this, uh, this fall stuff on the way. So, um, I don't know, personally, I, I I'm ready for them for sure. Yeah, I think Oktoberfest lives in a different world than like a pumpkin beer because I'm all about more lagers all the time. And there's already breweries that distribute their Oktoberfest like year round, just kind of your more notorious like German producers for sure. Mm. But it, it's another lager option. It's not a stout, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's a little maltier than a Pilsner would be, but I'm open. I'm definitely down to have an Oktoberfest sooner rather than later. Um, I am a little disappointed to see that what, that Sierra Nevada's ditching Oktoberfest. It was a really big hit when it first came out and they were doing the collabs with different breweries uh, in Germany, which mm -hmm. gave it more appeal. And it was a, always a really great beer, 
And then they decided that, I think it was COVID that kind of, you know, it eliminated that for a year because of travel restrictions and whatnot. But now I'm looking at their website and they have four different IPAs as their seasonals. They've like given up on anything creative at this point, which I kind of understand. You just got to like make sure you're pumping out numbers. But it is kind of insane that like each seasonal is now just an IPA. Like we're just completely giving up and giving the people what they want instead of trying to have any kind of additional identity outside of, you know, making hoppy beers. Well, that's an interesting thought there. And and, and I want to get back to the idea, like talk discussion about Oktoberfest, because I, I also want to talk about Mertzens versus Fest beers, because, you know, personally, I think I would be more apt to drinking a Fest beer right now, which is less malty and traditionally, um, you know, in, in these kind of temperatures versus a maltier kind of sweeter Oktoberfest beer. You know, obviously once temps go down to like the the low, you know, low 80s, high 70s, you know, that's that's really when I, I'm shifting to that kind of taste profile. But right now, you know, a fest beer I can enjoy all day, any day. That said, you were talking about Sierra Nevada. I recently visited Asheville, North Carolina. And, Ooh. you know, for those who haven't been yet and haven't had the chance to visit Malt Disneyland, it is truly <laughs> one of the most beautiful, pristine breweries I've ever seen, even from the entrance, the gateway, there's this incredible like gate that welcomes you. It looks like it's a Willy Wonka kind of entryway. And then you see this massive facade. Um, but that kind of, as you were saying, you know, one of the things that I noticed even visiting there was that their focus has shifted almost, you know, 60 to 70% towards the hoppier profile in terms of beers. And, you know, we definitely had some really interesting lagers. We had a you know, a, a barley wine that was out, you know, available there, draft only, tap room only. But, you know, do you think that this kind of mentality, the shift for Sierra Nevada to um, hop, you know, primarily hoppy styles, is that more so because of their success with pale ale? Or do you think it's just dictated by the marketplace now? Well, quick anecdote that I would like to provide. Uh, yeah, so go for it. When I used to work at Sierra, we went down, I would go down to Asheville like two or three times a year for distributor trips and whatnot. So we'd have a whole sales crew from one of our distributors like in the car with me. And as soon as we got to that gate, I would queue up the Jurassic Park theme music and then finish the drive like through the woods and like over a river until like it opens up to the brewery. Oh, that's incredible. Um, I think more than pale ale, it's the it's the success of Hazy Little Thing that's really sure. kind of that's driving their decision making. I mean, they're a big brewery. They have numbers to, to maintain year after year. And I think, you know, they're trying everything they can to stay independent and not sell. And unfortunately, that means um, sacrificing a little bit of integrity for just giving the people what they want. Right. I mean, it's different if you are a small esoteric brewery and that's what you're known for. But when you're distributing at that scale, I mean, they're sold internationally all over the, they're all over the world, right? Like they just have to keep up with what people want. And I think some of that decision-making power just goes out of their hands. And I will say, once companies get to be that size, the marketing department's making a lot of decisions. You know, yeah. it's not even necessarily the brewers that are the most uh, adamant about whatever style they're coming out with. It's typically, you know, it's data-driven by the sales team. And then it's a marketing decision that uh, that everybody else just kind of has to deal with. You mean the brewers behind the scenes weren't the ones uh, pulling the pulling the chains on 
the little things party pack? <laughs> uh, probably not. I mean, I would go ahead and say that most of the brewers there are probably pretty bummed out that they're not doing Oktoberfest anymore. It was very unique. They used, I don't remember if they kept doing this, but when they first started, they used this very, very expensive and unique grain called Stafy Malt that was similar to Pilsner, but it was very, uh, it had just its own unique flavor. And that's kind of what made it stand out in the first place. But it was just very, there was only like one or two farms in Germany that were producing it. They had actually had plans to try to start planning it on their own in the U.S. So it just became like, it was a cool beer. Like, and I'm sure the brewers were probably hyped about like actually making lagers and having something super unique to offer the marketplace. So this is just more of the same. I mean, it's, what is it? It's called... Liquid Hoppiness IPA, Juicy IPA. They're really going for that Google algorithm by putting IPA in the name twice. Uh, yeah, it's, they might as well just called this IP, Hazy IPA near you if they wanted to make it easier to find. What would be the most buzzworthy IPA name? Like Hazy New England Hoppy uh, <laughs> Double Dry Hop Double IPA? McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> with, with what? McDonald's just throw, throw in random branding names. That's what I was saying. Like you gotta just whatever you're gonna whatever you're gonna call it, you just gotta add near me after at the end of it, so that it's like I've had I've seen businesses do that. Like oh my god, they'll do like dentist near me is the name of the business. Every but article from now on on porch drinking is just gonna be best blah 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 <laughs> near me. One thing I will say that's the worst offense out of all the Oktoberfests is when people make an ale instead of a lager. Because not only is it a Marzen and it's going to be maltier anyway, it's like you didn't even go through the effort of trying to lager it. It's just like this yeah. fake Oktoberfest. You're just slapping a label on there for the credit. Uh, that's the, probably like the most heinous thing that I ever see with uh, with breweries that do like make an Oktoberfest beer. I, I think we did a, uh, a, uh, a collab brew in uh, Missouri this past week at Mother's Brewing in Springfield, and they, they brewed a, a Sticka Alt beer. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's a lighter, it's dark, you know, obviously darker in color, but, you know, uh, lighter in mouthfeel and, and flavor and all those fancy buzzwords as well. Um, but I'm, I'm looking forward to tasting that, too, because, you know, again, it's an, another sort of rendition, another version of, you know, a, a, a play on the same stuff that, that comes out, but we're actually doing a big like public education campaign around it because it's everyone's going to love it, but nobody knows what the hell it is. You know, everybody's so used to the pumpkin beers and like, you know, the things that we keep talking about here, but to dive into the alt beer world, to dive into that, even like the, you know, the subsection of like the Stika, the Stika alt beer, more German uh, styles. Like, I think that's going to be a really cool one to taste for sure. Yeah. yeah. It'll probably be sitting there for three months. So you'll have plenty of opportunities to taste it. It'll be a year round. <laughs> well, I mean, it just speaks to the It speaks to the marketplace, right? I mean, we can talk really? about nauseam if we want, but I mean, we all, I think we're all so far down the rabbit hole that we're always looking for something unique and something that is just well done and maybe more traditional. But I mean, you go to any brewery in town, like Odell down in uh, the Rhino district is a perfect example. You go in there and you can't even get an Odell IPA. Like most, basically every IPA on the menu is a hazy IPA and it's because that's what people want, right? So as met as I will say you want more craft beer consumers that does unfortunately affect what we have for selections in the marketplace. 
I, I will give Odell Rhino a little bit more credit because I think that was very, very much the case when they first opened. But I feel like they've gotten a little bit more diversified in their portfolio since then mm-hmm. uh, in the past few months. So um, anyway, moving on, I, I, I do want to say, you know, speaking of bougie, you know, ex- bougie, boozy experiences, um, I do want to give a shout out to our friends, the Vale Wine Classic. We've been, we've all been to a ton of beer festivals, but have you been to a wine classic? If you're looking for something special to do this weekend, uh, we invite you to check out the third annual Vale Wine Classic. Um, it is taking place in the Vale Valley, and uh, it is from our friends at Team Player Productions, uh, happening August 11th through the 13th. It's a three-day event. Um, this event brings master winemakers and wine enthusiasts together for an immersive three-day tasting event that includes all-inclusive tastings of diverse and distinctive wines from around the world and a bunch of a la carte events to elevate your culinary weekend. From a wine and wildflower hike to several wine pairing meals, there's a ton to experience at this elegant and educational three-day event. Tickets for all events are currently available at valewineclassic.com. This was really rad, and uh, I recently did attend the Denver Burger Battle, which was also a team player event. Um, that was really cool. I got to say over 20 um, restaurants vying for the best burger um, and most creative burger in Denver. There was a burrata burger. There was one with like Cheetos, another one that had like a deep fried like jalapeno on top. It was really cool. They do uh, really rad events. And I know this one is going to be just as, as unique and experiential as all of them. So the Vail Wine Classic happening this weekend. Um, speaking of beer festivals, uh, we've had, you know, I've had the, the fortune of attending several kind of higher profile, higher profile beer events, um, throughout this summer, got to go to the Firestone Walker Invitational for the first time, which if you haven't been, that is one of the coolest kind of beer festival experiences that I've ever been to. Not only did they have like just an, an absolutely incredible lineup of breweries, but they also, bring together like some really, really high level restaurants uh, in that region. And all of the food is included with your ticket, no matter what level of ticket you got. So, um, you know, they, we, they had lobster rolls, they had uh, like some of the, some incredible cheese and meats and stuff like that. And then you also had just like absolute titans of the industry. Matt Brindleson was there, Eric Ponce, you know, you had uh, the entire Weldworks team was there. It was just super, super cool. Got to meet a lot of really rad people. And then, and then on that note, I also, we also got to attend the Weldworks Invitational this year. Um, so uh, one of the things that I, I wanted to, to post to you guys was, you know, what's, what's some of the best beer festivals that you've attended as, as of recent years? Right. You know, uh, I am not so worldly not so traveled i mean i've done the i've done the veil craft beer classic i've done gabf um you know i i i, I did lager and friends out here in wisconsin um that was pretty cool it was you yeah. know mostly all german you know obviously german style lagers um one of the heavy hitters in in missouri again casey beer co always they always come up here uh they're known for their their german styles and um you, you know i mean a, a bunch of different you know Udapils and everything else was out here so that was a good one uh for sure that that was definitely not you know your your gabfs and your nothing wrong with either of those but you know it was nice to kind of be out here and uh, experience more so looking forward to 
even seeing, you know, into the fall and next year uh, as well as some, some Wisconsin beer festivals. Well, Brian, you also, you know, now that you're out in, in Wisconsin, you're going to have to make it a point to get out to Great Taste of the Midwest. Have you, have you heard much about that one? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm not going to go to that one. That one uh, is coming up, though. I believe it's this mm -hmm. weekend. Yeah, because it's it's great, ta great taste Eve on Friday. So I'm seeing a lot of like flyers and uh, oh, one of our new clients is having a party uh, that night. So we'll be at that. Uh, cool. And then, yeah, I've definitely got a I know it's in very high demand. People are like, huh, good luck getting tickets. So that's definitely like on my radar uh, for the future. Yeah. Totally. Cool. What about you, Corey? Do you have any that really stick out? I know that you mentioned a while ago um, the Oma Gang. Uh, was, was it the Belgian? Yeah, it was called Belgium Comes to Cooperstown. And I think the reason that one was always so fun was because it was like an overnight camping festival. So all the, event, all the suppliers and distributors would get there on Friday and basically have like a huge party. Everybody's camping in tents. And then Saturday would roll around and it was a huge beer festival where people had to make something specifically for the fest or they had to have like a Belgian beer already. So you got to try a bunch of unique things and then all of the festival goers and suppliers and distributors all camp out on Saturday. It's a big, like they have bands, a big party, bonfire, like the whole deal. So, I mean, I think that's kind of, it's set the bar a little too high for me in terms of going to other fests. But I will say that I haven't been to anything this year, but when we went to the Vail Brewing Classic last summer, um, even though we got rained out a little bit, I think I just, I just enjoyed it because, you know, it reminded me that, you know, beer festival, they, the selection of beers is always fine and fun or whatever, but it's really just like the opportunity to like hang out with your friends, do something that's a little different than what you have going on like every other weekend or whatever. Uh, and I think those opportunities are really unique for that. And especially if it's a destination, if it's something that's yeah. just like in Denver um, and it's not a unique event, uh, then I'm, I don't know, I'm a little less inclined. Like you got to bring something else to the table besides just seasonals that people are trying to get rid of and maybe a flagship on a hot in a hot parking lot or something you know like I just think there has to be more to it totally yeah one of our um one of our viewers one of our current viewers right now Chris Walner um mentioned Fobab uh festival of barrel aged beers out in Chicago I had the you know I had the opportunity to attend that I think probably three years ago right before the pandemic and that was truly one of the cooler barrel-aged beer festivals that I've ever been to. Uh, the, it takes place in a very small venue, which might be a little too small, but that was one of the better kind of collections of barrel-aged beers uh, outside of, you know, both the Wellworks Invitational and, um, and big beers out here in Colorado. Um, that was one of the better kind of collections altogether comprehensively of, of, of barrel-aged beers that I've ever seen in one place. So that was a Good call by Chris Walner, who, who's been tuning in live. Um, on that note, if you are tuning in live, be sure to give us a follow on all of your listening devices so that you can catch all of our you know, great content coming down the line. Um, we're on Spotify, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, whatever you're using to listen, be sure to give us a follow. Um, now, I wanna move on to our kind of big topic for the, for the show. Um, you know, We talked about some of the best beer festivals but I also want to talk about your favorite IPAs. Like I mentioned, M. Sauter, who's a tremendous illustrator on Twitter, posted on IPA Day about um, the best IPA styles. She did a cool illustration. You should definitely go check out her, her Twitter. Let me see if I can pull up that, that handle. I think it's at Pints and Panels. 
at pints and panels is her handle. But um, it, it kind of spurred this debate of, of what's the best IPA style. So for the ones that she listed on her illustration, she included New England Belgian double English, black rye American fruited, triple milkshake white and fresh slash wet hop. Um, some other ones. Actually, the I, name of the SEO friendly beer that we're going to come out with soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just <laughs> all of those in one string. Um, the other ones that I kind of thought of that she didn't, I don't think she included uh, the cold IPA, which is kind of a newer style. Um, we also have uh, the Brute IPA and Session IPA. Um, out of those, uh, do you guys have kind of a top three initially in your minds, in your minds, uh, just right off the bat? Uh, I would go, obviously, I mean, you guys know where I'm going on this. Uh, West Coast IPA West is number Coast. one. And then I know you didn't have it included in your list, but if they had it included on theirs, I mean, I love a fresher wet hop IPA. Um, Celebration is still one of my favorite beers and always will be. And then after that, I mean, there's really only one beer that I like in this category, but it's so good that it trumps like every other category that's here. And that's like black, that's black IPA. And we, I mean, you know how much I love Wookie Jack and it'll always hold a place near and dear to my heart, even though it isn't as readily available anymore. Uh, but that would be my top three for sure. I actually have some more uh, Wookie Jack waiting for you. Uh, what? Is it yeah. from last year? No, no. I <laughs> went out the Firestone this, this year. Yeah, well, whenever uh, whenever you come by to grab that equipment we talked about, if you want to drop some off, you know, I wouldn't hate it. Absolutely. Um, what about you, Bryant? Do you have any, uh, yeah. what, what, what's your what's your top top IPA ranks for these? Oh, I would say in, in no particular order. Um, you know, I, I also love a good, you know, wait, a wait, good fresh. Wait, you said in no particular order. That's it's literally just, what we're asking you to do is to put them <laughs> in an order. Oh, I don't want to commit. Oh God. Oh God. Okay. Oh shit. All right. Um, you know, well, all right. Well then I got to save one, you know, uh, you know, I'm all for drinkability, you know, the, the cold IPA, that's, that's probably the, the number three, you know, if I had to pick a, a least favorite, you know, out of all those, the cold IPA, but it's still pretty damn good. Um, you know, along with kind of that hoppy lager, cold IPA, IPL, whatever it is. Um, I, I dig them. Uh, shit. I would definitely say next after that is the white, the white IPA. Um, it's, 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 yeah, what it, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to say a twist on a hazy, but you know, it's it's a little bit more of a, you know, it's got that those those. Um, it was hazy before hazy. Exactly, exactly. Um, and then and then the fresh hops. I mean, I love a good like, hey, get it while it's here, um, you know, kind of thing. So so those, if I had to pick, if you if you forced me to 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 absolutely rank them, those are those would definitely be it. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm kind of with Corey and, and you on, on the fact that uh, Fresh Hop is, is definitely ranks very high on my list. And, and surprisingly, for a lot of people who were kind of chiming in on that Twitter thread, for, and, and people that I very much respect in the beer industry, Fresh Hop was relatively low on their list. And, and part of the reason of that was that many of those people... Um, you reside kind of in the Midwest or on the East coast. And so they have, I, I don't feel like that they've had the best fresh hop experience, but to me, when you are able to get a truly great fresh hop, it trumps all of other IPA styles. Are you all in agreement there? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and then Corey, similarly, uh, West coast is, is very high on that list, but then afterwards, 
you know, it, again, similar to Fresh Hop, when a session IPA is done really well, and that's very rare, that's probably even more rare than finding a good Fresh Hop. When session IPA is done really well, I think it's better than all other IPAs. So, um, or at least, you know, top three in terms of right there below West Coast style IPAs. So for me, it'd probably go Fresh Hop, uh, West Coast, and then session IPA. Sure. What about the first three? Ooh, this is this is great. I think I, I like where your head's at on that one. Um, you know, above all others, I would probably put milkshake the last in terms of the, the absolute worst. Um, the lac lactose intolerant in me is is not a huge fan of just like cramming a bunch of sugar and lactose into this like combustible can. Um, you know, for me also. I'm not a huge fan of the Belgian styles. I feel like it just kind of that Belgian yeast strain just does things to the IPA that doesn't need to be done. And then finally, I'd probably say Brute. Uh, I think that was kind of this trendy fad that really did nothing for me. Mm -hmm. What about you guys? Well, I think I would go Milkshake's probably at the bottom for sure. Brute <laughs> IPA never really did anybody any good. And then I'm actually going to go session because I feel like most of the session IPAs I ever had were just watered down flowery pale ales. And I would just, if I'm going to have that level of bitterness and ABV, I'd rather just have like the malt backbone to go with it. Oh no. Similarly, like bad session IPAs are probably on the bottom of the list for me, but like the best session IPAs conversely are at the top. So very, very uh, kind of polarizing in terms of whether they're well done or not. For sure. Well, you know, if I had to pick, uh, no, I would definitely say the Belgian as well. I'm not definitely not a Belgian fan, not a huge English fan either. So we're, we're probably going English, a you know, a, a little higher than Belgian. Worst. Um, I, I would honestly rather a brute than a triple, to be honest. Like I, double is about all I can do. I think, I think when you get into the triple, um, the hot burn again, well done, maybe, you know, if, if, if it is well done, but you know, if, if it's done in a rough shot way, or, you know, even happen to get maybe an older can or an older pour of it, uh, you can miss me with the triples for sure. Nice. Cool. Corey, were you saying something? No. Okay. Well, I want to close out this podcast on kind of a, a sharing kind of a really cool story that's happening in the beer industry. Um, this there's a new brewery that's about to launch that is um, all female owned. It is called uh, Japas Cervejaria, and it is founded by three women who are uh, Japanese Brazilian. So they are Brazilian born individuals with Japanese ancestry. Really cool background. Um, they are coming to the U.S. and launching in several states. Uh, across the U.S., including California, Florida, Massachusetts, Maine, Rhode Island, Michigan, New York, Oregon, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Um, oh, I guess it's also going to be in South Carolina and Texas soon. But this, I, I think this is really neat. They are channeling a lot of their, you know, ancestral background, and um, they've got an American pale ale with wasabi. They've got uh, you know, a yuzu uh, infused IPA. 
They've got lots of different um, beers that showcase traditional ingredients from both cultures. So uh, Japa's Cervejeria. Uh, what do you guys think about this? This is something that uh, piques your attention. Well, it sounds like it'd be the kind of thing, like if I was there, I would want to go experience it. Yeah. But I, I think it's a great initiative. Obviously, it's like we're always trying to find something that's unique and different. So if you have any separation in the market that way, I think it's awesome. Um, I don't know how compelled I would be to try it if I saw it here, maybe just out of curiosity for sure. Yeah. But I think anytime, I mean, otherwise, the only Japanese influenced beers that I've had in recent memory is when people are making rice lagers here. This was like pretty popular, maybe like last summer and part of this one. And then it's Hitachino, which is one of the best beers on the planet. But if you want to spend $12 for one bottle of oil. <laughs> So I think it's a cool, I think it's cool for sure. Um, and then if, yeah, as long as the beers are done well, it seems, but the one thing I'm curious about, you said they are distributing a little to the, the US. Yeah. I just wonder how much it's going to cost. You know, I, it, I'm sure in places where there's less of a beer, like a brewery density, then it's intriguing, but in a place like where we live, uh, where there's just so many breweries and you can get them at an affordable price point, it's something obviously something to consider if it's going to be twice as much for a six pack as something that's local, is that going to affect them? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. To me, I mean, I think, you know, Port Stringing was founded upon the premise of telling compelling stories within the craft beer industry. And this, this is definitely a compelling one to me. I think, I think so often do we see breweries opening up that are just like, you know, cookie cutter, you know, started as a home brewer, friends told them that their recipes were awesome. And so they decided to go into brewing full-time. Well, mm -hmm. this, this definitely has kind of more of a hook to it in that, you know, it's got, you know, three women, three women coming together and really honoring their heritage. Um, I think, you know, the, the use of, of these kind of indigenous ingredients is something that is always compelling because oftentimes these are flavor, flavor profiles that I haven't been exposed to. And I'm always seeking, you know, new experiential opportunities to try new flavors. And so, uh, you know, Jade Mountain out here in Colorado is one that is doing kind of taking a similar approach. Uh, Sean was a brewer. He started his own brewery out in China. Um, he's Latino in, in, in background, but, you know, wanted to, to utilize like Chinese ingredients. And, you know, find, after finding that, the you know, the red tape in, in China was a lot more difficult than he anticipated with the government, uh, he decided to move back stateside, move back to Colorado and open a, you know, Asian inspired brewery here in Colorado, which I think is really cool too. But uh, another kind of unique story is that I went to Miami University um, in Oxford, Ohio, and, uh, you know, the little bottle shop in our, in our, you know, little college town that is typically all about just like Natty Light. Natty Light flies out the door, but this tiny little bottle shop carried this really, really unique, unique beer brand called Baird Brewing. And um, come to find out that, you know, this guy who originally was from Oxford, Ohio, decided to open up a brewery at the base of Mount Fuji in Japan. And so similarly, he uses a lot of like Japanese inspired ingredients in his beers. And, you know, I could barely afford to buy like a beer, like a single, single beer of his. But, you know, uh, at the time, but like since then, I've gone back to revisit that, that, that brand and he's doing some really tremendous beers and, and coming from small town, Ohio is very unique in early 2009. So uh, I thought I'd share that little, little story there. 
Yeah, and even you got like Dos Luces out there in Denver too, not not Asian inspired, not anything like that, but he's doing traditional ingredients and traditional uh, more Hispanic, you know, like the pulque and the chicha. Yeah. Um, those are Mayan and Aztec too. So, I mean, I think there's 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 some good interest uh, there. You know, there's there's some good potential there for you know interesting you know pairings, you know food pairings and beer pairings. But um, I mean, going back to going back to the IPAs, right? Going back to any of that, like I I hope the best for this this place and, and everything else. It's um, you know where are they going to find you know their fit? Where are they going to find uh, their their customer niche uh, in the market so i'm i'm looking for you like you said they're they're distrowing out here so i'm definitely going to keep keeping out there's a bottle shop right down the road from my office that i'm sure they'll be carrying it for sure so i'll be checking it out nice well fellas i think that is all we have time for today uh it was absolutely wonderful seeing all two of you guys again <laughs> Uh, it, was, it was actually really nice to be, to, to, you know, just get to talk to you all. And, we, just, uh, we just never talk anymore, guys. We never really talk anymore. so much. It is good. Uh, I do want to remind all of our listeners, a big thank you to our friends at ONTAP Credit Union. Also, if you, again, don't have plans and, and want to look for something kind of unique, be sure to grab your tickets to the Vail Wine Classic happening up in Vail uh, this weekend. Uh, really great tasting experiences. A lot of cool kind of add-on experiences in addition to the grand tasting. Um, so definitely grab your tickets to that and then be on the lookout for the porch drinking 10th anniversary beer festival. We're hoping to announce here in the next week or so, but uh, excited to get that off the ground and support two really tremendous causes. Um, we're excited to, to, to get that off the ground and get rolling with, with uh, our porch drinking crew. A big thank you to Corey Bryant. Uh, this is uh, this has been episode 95 of the porch cast. We'll check you later.